RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log Live is brought to you by the Eagle Moss Shop, home of official Star Trek collectibles, including rare and highly prized Starship models from all Star TV series and related productions. Use the promo code Mission Log for 10% off your order at shop.eaglemoss.com slash USA slash Mission Log. And I'm Ken Ray. Oh, right. John's not here. Welcome into Mission Log Live. And I'm Ken Ray. John has uh, left the country. Oh, some say fled. He's out of town, out of state. Oh, some say on the lamb. I'm kidding. It's actually probably someplace eating something. <laughs> so that leaves the Star Trek talk to you and me, as we do almost every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. Mission Log Live is a place and time where we get together to talk Trek and Trek-related topics. Uh, this week, we are headed back to Deep Space Nine. No, no, wait, we're headed to Risa. Actually, we're going to all sorts of Star Trek places in various Star Trek times with Thomas Maroney and Nick Duguid. They work for Star Trek Online. Thomas is a ship and user interface artist. Nick's a senior environment artist. Uh, they're both steeped in Trek. And I'm very much looking forward to talking with them. Uh, Lorca, Gabriel Lorca. You may know him as Captain Gabriel Lorca. He's in the house. Uh, he brought actually Landry with him as well. So we'll talk about bringing people and places and ships and environments that you know into a playable arena. And of course, we'll take your questions too. You want to talk about uh, general Star Trek stuff? You want to talk about Star Trek online? You want about, eh, I'm interested honestly in the whole being in or on Star Trek versus, you know, playing in or on Star Trek, which doesn't make as much sense as I wanted it to. But uh, hey, Bring your questions. That's my point. You can join our Zoom meeting. You can use the one tap from your smartphone, or you can call 669-900-6833. 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call. Um, I would love to say hello to everybody who's hanging out in Facebook, but if you're watching live, you're seeing me struggle with my iPad. It's because I'm trying to get into the Facebook live video, and uh, I can't. So can we just assume that there are people there, and I'll say hey to you, and you know, stop me in Vegas next time you're in Vegas and I'm in Vegas and say, dude, I was totally there. Why didn't you say hi? And I'll be like, well, you should have listened because I couldn't. We would like to thank you for checking us out here live on Facebook or if you catch the video later at youtube.com slash Roddenberry Prod. Actually, I think that video might be live right now. So if there's anybody watching live YouTube, hey, how's it going? Um, you know, wherever you're catching it, that's great. If you're uh, catching the audio podcast later, that's fantastic too. Long and the short of it is we are really happy to have you along with us. The one thing that I would ask, which I think is actually three things, uh, hit like, hit share and tell people about this show and try to catch us live if you're catching us later, because we would love to have you, uh, join us, uh, for, you know, calling in your questions and, and, and being around. Got the uh, business that we normally tend to, both John and I, except John, did I mention off eating or on the lamb, whichever. Uh, been a continuing business. First of all, Scott Palm. Oh, happy birthday to Scott. That's right. Word on the street is it's Scott's birthday today. You've heard us talk about Scott for a while now and his work. Well, his good work, actually. Uh, helping to stop bullying, helping to promote inclusion. Uh, Scott has developed the heroic curriculum with two goals, 
teaching children with serious physical disabilities, resilience, healthy identity, breaking barriers, and other crucial mental health and life skills. And he's also teaching the peers of those kids, you know, inclusion, ending marginalization, and, and just how to be an ally. It's fantastic work that Scott's doing, and it's not the easiest work because uh, Scott has cerebral palsy, which is why the Roddenberry Foundation is joining with you to help Scott continue uh, his work. So what you do is you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mission log pod. You'll see a link to the fundraiser there. You kick in a few quatlos and the Roddenberry Foundation will match it. I'm not saying to do it because, you know, he's doing good work. I'm not saying to do it because it's his birthday. I'm saying to do it because it's good work and it's his birthday, <laughs> which yeah, may sound like putting a lot on you. Actually, the best reason to do it is because he's out there doing good work and uh, the Roddenberry Foundation will match it. Now, here's the thing. If you can't give anything, that's fine. There's one thing you can give. There's one thing you can do. Just like I said with our show, share the link to the uh, to the um, uh, to the fundraiser and tell people about it, because uh, what Scott's doing is good. And any little bit that you can do. And even if you think just hitting, you know, repost or just, you know, sharing to your page, if you think that's literally the littlest bit you can do, that little bit could make a difference. So if you do that, that'd be fantastic. And next thing on the agenda Mission log is coming back. Oh, yeah. Fire up the tubes. The mission log feed is you're churning once again, uh, day after tomorrow, Thursday, May 23rd. We're having a roundtable with Rod Roddenberry. Um, mission log's been going for six and a half years now. We've actually been working on it for over seven, but it's been going for six and a half years. And at the end of this uh, break that we took from the regular show, Rod had a bunch of questions and a bunch of stuff he wanted to throw out there. So, uh, settle in for a long conversation. He's actually leading that conversation. Uh, so it's me, it's John, it's Rod. And there's also a bit there with Allison Pitt, which I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. Next Thursday, May 30th, that's when we head back to Deep Space Nine. We're going into season three with the search part one and the search part two, which I like to call the searches. Now, I said that we're going to be talking with Allison Pitt on this week's supplemental. Uh, you may know her as Kenna from Priority One. Uh, she has started a daily Star Trek news show called, funny enough, Daily Star Trek News, uh, which is now part of the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Uh, last week, I told you about the website, but now the show is actually up in all the usual podcast places. So it's available uh, wherever you get your Google podcasts. Uh, it's available in Apple podcasts. So you can just go to iTunes and search for Daily Star Trek News. And there you will find your daily Star Trek news. It's about 10 minutes long. It's daily and it's Star Trek. So really, what's not to love? Uh, daily Star Trek news. Please do tell your friends. A couple more things before we get to our guests. Uh, we are still doing stuff in Sansar. Uh, it's going to be a few weeks, but uh, June 13th, Thursday, June 13th, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, Larry Nemechek is going to be a uh, headed over to the Roddenberry Theater in Sansar. He's going to be talking about stellar cartography. And then you're not going to believe this. We think we're showing the White Room on the 20th. This was the thing that I think back in February, we started saying, yeah, probably in a couple of weeks, we'll have something. Probably in a couple of weeks, we'll have something. Uh, June 20th, uh, the White Room, for people who don't know, is a 360-degree video or a 360-degree film. It was shot that way a long time ago, back when you know, virtual reality was a distant memory 
or a thing that was coming up in the future, but not something that was really happening. It was really uh, the White Room, if memory serves, was shot to be viewed either on a tablet or a smartphone. And you could sort of hold up the tablet or smartphone. And then, you know, as you moved around, your view of what was going on would change. Uh, now, VR is more of a thing. And so you can actually sort of sit in the middle of the room, the virtual room, and watch this movie. And, you know, you turn your head and you're looking behind you and there's stuff going on all around. So kind of excited to see how that's going to go. Fingers crossed that should be Thursday, the 20th of June. Again, uh, 7 p.m., 10 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we've got Golly. We're going to be at Comic-Con in San Diego. We're going to be at STLV, of course, in Las Vegas. That's what the LV stands for. So just tons of stuff coming up. And of course, the best way to keep up with all of it is either at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mission log pod, or right here on mission log live. It's kind of funny. We got a lot of email from people who thought that we had just disappeared, Um, but we've been here every week. So, yeah, anyway, we're here, and uh, either of those are a good way to keep up with us. Got a poll question. Last week, the poll was, which series should get the feature documentary treatment? Because, of course, we had just seen uh, what we left behind last week. Which series should get the feature documentary treatment? Uh, Voyager or Enterprise were the two choices. Voyager or Enterprise. Uh, Voyager representing. 67% 67% say Voyager should get the full doc treatment, uh, Enterprise 33%. This week's question actually is tied in a bit to our guests. Um, which would you rather be, on Star Trek or in Star Trek? So I guess the question I'm asking is, you can be, you know, captain of whatever series, you get your summers off, you get to be in movies, you get to do other stuff. Probably you can afford your own house being the captain of something on a Star Trek show, right? Would you want to be a star on a Star Trek show or in a Star Trek movie? Or would you rather live in the 23rd, 24th century, live in the TOS, TNG era, somewhere along there? Uh, Right now, everybody wants to be far, far, far away from here in time. 87% say they want to be in Star Trek. 13% say they want to be on Star Trek. I'm not sure what my answer would be, and I'm not sure what our guests' answers would be either, but I think I will ask them. Time now to bring them in. Uh, From Star Trek Online, uh, Thomas Maroney and Nick Duguid. Nick, of course, works on environments for Star Trek Online. Thomas works on ships and UI. Uh, Guys, thank you both very much for joining us us here this evening. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're yeah. really excited to be here and talk about Star Trek. My answer is definitely in Star Trek, by the way. I don't I don't think it's a contest. I really? mean, skaters, holodecks, like that's Okay. That's- See, here's the question though, because I'm a huge fan of the idea of the post scarcity economy. I'm a huge idea of and believer in the kind of utopian whatever that uh, that uh, that that sort of Roddenberry uh, sort of pushed into TOS and TNG. Uh, that said, I'd like a house in the hills. You didn't specify where in Star Trek. I could be part of the Klingon Empire. I could be mining the lithium someplace. <laughs> on Nimbus 3. There's right. all sorts of terrible things that could happen in Star Trek. Or you know, well, places to be in Star Trek. I assume if I'm giving you the choice, then you have the choice, right? If I'm saying, do you want to be on it? <laughs> no, no, no. You... I know how genies work. I understand. I know how <laughs> this, this is where you flip it on me and then I'm back yeah. back in the butt. 
I'll be in Star Trek if I can be a member of the Q Continuum. <laughs> that's that's asking quite a bit, isn't it? But yeah, that's fair. All right. So uh, obviously you guys are not just computer um I, I don't want to say nerds, but I will. Uh, one of the first one of the first questions I like to ask people when when I get a chance to interview them is it's not like, you know, prove to me that you're a Star Trek fan, but I want to know how people came to it. So uh, I don't know who wants to go first, Nick or, or Thomas, but what I want to ask and then that'll give the other one time to think about it. How did your fandom come to pass? I mean, were you like a Star Trek fan who got into Star Trek jobs or did you get a job that turned you on? The Star Trek. Um, I'll go and go first because uh, I had to answer this question earlier today. Um, <laughs> I um, I've always been a Star Trek fan. I, I grew up. Uh, my mom watched Star Trek, you know, in the '60s, and then when I was growing up, she would show it to me, and we watched TNG together, and it was just a big part of my life and a big part of my family um, as a kid. And you know, one of the first Halloween costumes I can remember is that my mom made me, like, hand made me a TNG uh, uniform. And, um, and, you know, as, uh, as I aged, I started, started to learn more and more about what Star Trek was really about. It wasn't just about spaceships and adventures. It was about the humanist aspect of, you know, becoming, you know, uh, listening to the better angels of our nature. Um, and that really identified with me and how I, the person I wanted to be and the, the world I wanted to live in. So, um, yeah, I was definitely a Star Trek fan before I came to work at Cryptic. I came to work at Cryptic because I wanted to work on Star Trek Online. Um, and, um, and thankfully that, you know, that whole roundabout experience uh, bore out and here I am. I'm curious really quickly before we get to your answer, Nick. Um, the interesting thing to me about what you say is, well, forgive me, I, I've played a little bit of Star Trek Online, but I haven't played through a lot of the adventures. Uh, does that humanist sort of ideal, does that utopian ideal sort of get to carry through to the game? Or is there like, you know, is it sort of like the way sort of Star Trek is turning into there are shows that are for people who are all about the utopian part of it. There are shows that are for people who are all about the, you know, the spaceship part of it. I mean, do you go into Star Trek Online and sort of find your level on that, or is the story the story, and then you can go play when the story is done? Um, that's a good question, and it's a complicated answer because Star Trek Online is a massively multiplayer role-playing game, and typically the gameplay for those types of games is very focused around combat, right? Shooting things um, on ground and in space. Um, the way that we handle it and the way that we try to tell Star Trek stories is either you're fighting something where um, you know uh, negotiations just aren't an option, um, like the Borg, for example, or you start out being hostile with someone, but then you sort of learn um, what their true motivations are and you figure out a way to end those hostilities. So that's usually, you know, without getting too, too detailed, that's usually how our story arcs go is you meet someone and um, they're hostile towards you. And so you fight them, you defend yourself. And then uh, as you learn more about the situation, you understand what their, what their goals are and you find a way to uh, come to an understanding through that and negotiate a peace with them. So that's sort of how we balance the need to really have combat driven gameplay with the Star Trek um, 
uh, ethos of um, understanding and and empathy and all that. So it's not perfect, but you know, it's it's um, it's a you know, given what we have to work with, I think it's a pretty good formula. Six six nine nine hundred six eight three three is the phone number to call. By the way, six six nine nine hundred six eight three three, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone, or you can go to our Facebook page, and there should be a link there, and that'll get you straight through to uh, to me, to Nick, and to Thomas. You got to talk to Earl first, but honestly, talking to Earl is a lot of fun. So I say, I mean, it's 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 a bargain that's twice the price for crying out loud. Uh, and Nick, uh, talk to me about your your Star Trek fandom. Uh, I have not been a Star Trek fan forever, but I have been a Star Trek fan for a long time. Um, I started in the 80s with my dad watching the original series on reruns, you know, on on TV. And I just thought that was the stupidest thing in the world. They're just running around and there's all these colored backgrounds and they look like they're hitting each other, but they're not. And it's like fake fighting and it's, I don't know, it just looks very old fashioned and weird to me. And I, you know, I didn't like it as a, as a, five, six-year-old, whatever I was. Um, and then TNG came around, and my dad started watching that because he was a fan of the old one. And that got me hooked, and then it lost him. So we never actually really watched Star Trek together all that much. Um, but TNG was definitely my my hook. And, uh, you know, I've been watching since. Um, I think DS9 is probably the first thing that I was able to watch from start to finish or, you know, from the very beginning. Uh, I'm, I think I came in partway through with with uh, probably second season with TNG. Were you? Uh, you say that TNG is the one that caught you where TOS didn't. Is it just the whole that old? This is new. I mean, what was it about uh, TNG? It was probably slightly, you know, older, new, and it was probably um, I think more. It was the tone of things. It was more serious. The people were people on screen were taking things more seriously, and it felt more. Uh, dire or something rather than comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I got to say for me, it was honestly the biggest thing was, I think I think I probably said this before nobody knew more about TNG than I did. And that's not to say that because I was some expert, it's because it had, it didn't exist. Yeah. It hadn't happened before. And yeah. so, you know, I, I was there from, I meant to be there from the first week, but because it was syndicated, I didn't know where or when it was on. And then friends of mine were talking about it Monday in school. And so they told me where and when it was on after that. After that, I don't think I missed an episode. Well, and I, and I watched every series since. I mean, I've, I've, I've been on the bandwagon ever since. Um, and I grew to love TOS uh, eventually. Um, mm-hmm. I went back and rewatched it and, and fell in love with with the comic goofiness that it has, you know, um, right. I think it's great for what it is. But at the time, as a, like I said, a five or a six year old, um, it just didn't resonate with me quite right. I guess. Now, are you, are, are you like, uh, like Thomas, you sought out a job at cryptic because you were a Star Trek fan. No, Star Trek fell in my lap. I work, have worked at cryptic since 2005 and we didn't get the license until 2008 or something. And so I okay. was, I was working there on City of Heroes, and hey, all of a sudden we got the Star Trek license. Um, and I actually didn't work on it until 2012. Um, so I Nick, was working on other games. You should tell uh, tell the tell them the Warp Core Breach story. That's a <laughs> that's a great story. Um, 
Yeah. So when we got the license, uh, there's this full kind of backstory about how we got the license from Perpetual, which was the company that had it originally and kind of sat on it for a while. And CVS was kind of shopping around to find somebody else that could do it. And we got the license, you know, kind of at a bargain uh, from CVS because it had been mishandled up to that point. And when we got the license, uh, they, they took the whole company to Vegas and this was not for a convention or anything, but it was, um, you know, just in celebration. And it happened to be like the week or maybe the month that the Star Trek experience was closing. So we got to there, you know, just before it closed, we got to see the whole thing. We got to ride the rides I mean, everything was kind of shabby and disrepair and all that given where it was. Um, but we had a, a big party at Quark's bar there um, at the experience. And they said, uh, you know, this, the, the management of cryptic said, okay, open bar. And everybody started drinking. And if you've ever been to, to Quark's bar at the experience, they had what were called work core breaches. And they were literally fishbowl sized drinks filled with alcohol that you had multiple straws go into. And, and the idea was that you'd have one at the table and everybody would share this drink. And it turned out that everybody started ordering these things and they were like, I don't know, 45, 50 bucks a pop or something. And so very quickly, the uh, management uh, caught on and was like, uh, we meant um, uh, open bar for single alcohol drinks only, not not these giant warp core reaches. But you give a problem like that to a bunch of game designers and they're going to figure out a way, a way around it. And it turns out that, okay, well, we've got all these empty bowls and we can only order single alcohol drinks. So we'll just order all of the ingredients and pour them into the bowl again and magically have more work for breaches. <laughs> nice. Those are, uh, I, I never had one of those at Quarks, but a couple of years ago, I ended up up in, um, you know, at, the, at the captain's party, at the captain's dinner or whatever at STLV. And somebody was kind enough to bring us what they said was a work core breach. I don't know if it was or not, but I do know that by the end of it, I yeah. was feeling nary a different. None whatsoever. They had single, similar drinks at SKLB a couple of years ago. Yeah. Regular bar, too. Yeah. 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 Oddly enough, you can you can find a drink or two in Vegas. Uh, 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call 669-900-6833 or you can use the one tap from your smartphone or you can go to our Facebook page see that's fun because then you can be on live just like Benjamin because Benjamin is standing by and Benjamin is here right now hey Benjamin hey how's it going Ken doing all right man how are you this week Uh, I'm I'm, uh, Uh, as long as I don't pay attention to the outside world everything's great (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. What's the one in the middle? I see Pinbot. What's the one in the middle? Uh, it's Diner. And then okay. beyond that is Roller Games, which was based on a TV oh, yeah. show which lasted for six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and then F-14 Tomcat, which was uh, which would have been Top Gun, but they couldn't get the license. <laughs> ah, I know where Thomas would be on, uh, of those four, and I think yeah. <laughs> What's on your mind tonight, sir? Oh gosh, you know, I, I, I've been I've been uh, listening to this really great podcast about the Twilight Zone called uh, the Twilight Zone Podcast, and huh. it's uh, hosted by a very nice British guy, and because um, you know we all know there's a new Twilight Zone on television right now, and as I've been watching it, the thing that I've been thinking the most about is that there are a lot of other things doing Twilight Zone better than Twilight Zone is doing it. The thing that says it is the Twilight Zone is doing it now. And there have been so many good science fiction movies coming out that I kind of feel like are doing Star Trek really well right now. So I'm kind of curious to know 
what other people are wanting or expecting from future Star Trek shows. Because, I mean, we all love Patrick Stewart. We all want to see Patrick Stewart be Captain Picard again. But what are they going to bring to the table that's going to seem meaningful and good and of value rather than just, hey, look, everybody, it's the guy we like. Um, I'm sort of struggling with this because I really want to look forward to Star Trek. And I'm starting to feel like, wow, you know, uh, films like uh, Arrival really did big Star Trek ideas beautifully. And Ex Machina did big Star Trek ideas beautifully. And Blade Runner 2049, which I thought I was going to hate, was a really much better examination of AI than like the Discovery Terminator AI that we got. So I'm kind of curious to hear what people like. I'm almost wondering, are we running up against the limits of what Star Trek can offer in terms of something new? Are we going to keep going back to like, well, we really like characters that we get along with. And uh, we really like to feel good about uh, about our morality and have and, and be patted on the back for being on the right side of things. Hmm. You're saying Denis Villeneuve is doing Star Trek. <laughs> I, 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 maybe, yeah. <laughs> I say bring that guy on. That'd be great. He would be great. <laughs> yeah, he's doing Dune, actually. So yeah. he's going to be busy for probably the next 15 to 20 years and have no movie at the end of it to show, unfortunately. Are because... they going to make nine movies like Lord of the Rings style? Because that would be one approach. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's the best way. To, well, we'll save this for the Dune podcast, which I think is coming up in 2155. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. Do you guys you guys have some thoughts on what Benjamin's saying? Sure. I uh, I will say my two favorite Star Trek movies are Galaxy Quest and Master and Commander. So uh, if you want to watch two good Star Trek movies, go watch those two movies. Um, uh, I think I think where some of this, why some of this happens is uh, people bank so much on the brand that they kind of don't, they, they rely on the brand to give them a story to tell. Um, and so when you lean too much into the existing mythology, you sort of, like lose sight on like, Oh, I want this story to be about saving the whales or whatever. Right. And, um, I think that's sort of, that's part of the baggage that Star Trek has now as this big, you know, billion dollar license or whatever. And, uh, I hope, um, everything we've heard about Picard sounds like Patrick Stewart's interested because it actually, there's a story there that he wants to tell about Picard and the evolution of the man and the world he's living in. So, you know, we'll see. Um, I don't really know much about it, uh, you know, as much as anybody else, but um, I think, I think if they get somebody who has a good, like has a good idea and, they're willing to let them express that idea using Star Trek as a framework. That's when you'll get great uh, Star Trek stories, right? Um, if it's just sort of we want to leverage the license, um, then then you're going to get kind of a paint by numbers TV show or paint by numbers blockbuster. So that's that's sort of my take on it. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'll be honest, there have been things that people have said, and I know nothing about anything that's, you know, uh, coming, obviously, except for what everybody has heard every place else. So there's going to be a lower deck show. Okay. We know there's going to be a season three of Discovery. Apparently, they're going to be a thousand years in the future, but who knows what kind of switcheroo they could pull between now and, you know, when that actually happened. Uh, Picard, a lot of people have joked and said his old man Picard. 
there's been this thing that I've heard people say that they're looking forward to there being a Star Trek that isn't necessarily their Star Trek. They're looking forward to there being so much Star Trek on TV that, you know, some of them won't be for them, but others of them will. I am almost to the point of hoping that there is so much Star Trek online that somebody gets to do the philosophical one that somebody gets to do. I mean, that somebody goes back and does hate to say it, the Orville, which of course is just going back and doing TNG. I mean, it probably wouldn't be as funny, but I mean, let's go, I mean, let's, let's go back to that kind of thing, that kind of exploration in a way. Um, personally, I thought Ex Machina was a, uh, was a, was a film noir more than anything else, but I'm with you on Arrival. Arrival was, was just an amazingly mind-blowing thing, and probably beyond, I would think beyond Star Trek's ability to do, honestly. Yeah, I- I, I miss the idea of Star Trek being a platform for exploring big sci-fi ideas. And I mean, really, if we look honestly at the whole history of Trek episodes, you start to be able to list them off on maybe two hands, the ones that are really sharp sci-fi concept shows. It's like the joke about TOS being, oh, it's 79 episodes and a dozen really good ones. Um, but I also think what was cool about TOS that they tried to do, which I would like to see them try to do again, is bring in the science fiction authors and give them a crack at writing for this. And maybe that makes the case for doing more things that are episodic and, and de-emphasizing the season arc format. Uh, because I would like to, you know, the problem they ran into was like, Oh, these authors have these big ideas that you couldn't do on a TV budget. But I think the people now, you know, 50 years later, are a little bit more aware of what the limitations are plus the production costs of doing special effects are a lot lower. So, I'd say they should resurrect that idea. I would love to see what some of the really interesting sci-fi authors out now could do within the Star Trek realm. I'll totally ascribe to the idea of there being too many Star Treks and, and things that I'm not interested in, but other things that I am. I hope that there's a lot of Star Trek that can cover a bunch of different, uh, you know, areas of the market and draw people in from other places that may not have been interested in Star Trek previously. You know, I may not watch... Uh, you know, a kid's show about Star Trek, but kids would, and kids will then potentially be interested in Star Trek and learn more about it and watch some of the other shows that have already existed. You know, uh, why not? Why not see, see what else is out there, so to speak? You bring up an interesting point as well, Benjamin, um, as far as bringing in a science fiction author. I don't know if this is a good or bad thing, but I mean, Nicholas, Nicholas, um, Michael Chabon, is, of course, going to be uh, is a lead writer, I think, or was lead writer at one point anyway on Picard. A uh, tremendous writer, won a Pulitzer Prize uh, for uh, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Not science fiction, very character-driven in a way, although Cavalier and Clay was an amazing, amazing novel that really did deal with a lot of big issues. So while he's not a science fiction guy, uh, he may be perfect. I mean, go back to... Um, Nick Meyer, right? Not a not a huge uh, Star Trek fan, certainly, but made well. You could argue whether Wrath of Khan is a good Star Trek movie, but it certainly was the Star Trek movie that, in a lot of ways, I think saved Star Trek. Well, I think that's the flip side of the Star Trek coin: is that if there, if it's, it's usually either or. It's like they're either talking about a really interesting science fiction idea, or we're digging deep into characters. Mm-hmm. And- I think, of course, that's so much of what has made Star Trek endure is our love of the characters. 
Um, right. and so if somebody like Shabon is there saying, I'm going to write a really deep dive into these people and make you care about them. I think that's, that's certainly valid. Um, and I think that could make for some very good storytelling. One of my problems with discovery was I felt like they wanted us to love these characters so much and they kept hitting us over the head with how much we were supposed to be in love with them. And it was too soon. It was like, it was like, uh, the the JJ movies killing Kirk and redoing uh, the Wrath of Khan. It was like, well, this is this can't carry the same impact because these guys haven't been together for twenty years. There were a lot of very cheerful, very emotional beats in Discovery that I was like, I don't even know these characters this well, but I know that you want me to really be feeling something, and it felt very mm-hmm. much like I was being told to have a feeling rather than being given the space to come to love and appreciate these characters to where those really connected with me emotionally rather than just like, I know what you're telling me to feel. I think that's a problem with, with, with TV in general these days. I mean, there's a lot of shows that are like that where they're, we're in a rush to, to tell a story. And so we don't necessarily have time to go into the backstories of everybody. And so we can't make you feel as much about these characters as, as you might need to in order to really feel invested. Yeah. I mean, as, as um, exciting as episodes like uh, sacrifice of angels in DS nine was, it would mean a little less if you didn't have take me out to the hollow suite, right? Like if you didn't have the character driven show like episodes where people were just having fun and you know had small problem daily problems because that's sort of how you get to know somebody it's not just about how they deal with a crisis but it's like what are what kind of food do they like to eat what's their what what's their favorite like book you know what's their favorite hollow program like all that stuff is stuff you learn in a slow build-up in 26 episodes not uh 13, 14 episodes. Well, you can imagine if they did Sacrifice of Angels in the second season or something, right? Like that no, was, that was it. Was way after it was. If it, I mean, it was no, before I, Take Me Out to the the Hollow Suite, but no, I understand. But I'm saying, like, yeah. if they had done it in the second season, we right. wouldn't have invested with right. It. Yeah, yeah, we wouldn't have cared as much, right? You yeah. get one of the one of the greatest moments in in TNG is is the last the last episode when Picard finally comes down and sits down to play cards with everybody. And, and that is a revelation because for seven seasons he hadn't. And, and there's, I mean, like one of the, one of the biggest examples of this right now, I think is Avengers end game capped 10 years of storytelling or 11 years of storytelling and, and, and five years ago, DC saw what was happening and said, quick, and so, like, we're supposed to care that, 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 you know, that, uh, that, that Superman's mom and Bruce Wayne's mom are both named Martha. And that means something to them. And I didn't care. I'm like, what is Gotham doing so close to Metropolis? I mean, that's, <laughs> they, 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 they tried to rush that so quickly. And I think, Benjamin, you probably could make the argument. I think you have made the argument, actually. They did the same thing in Discovery. They want, they, they, I mean, we care about Star Trek. And so then they're like, well, then you, then you care about this character because we're telling you that's your main character and that's who you care about now. It's interesting to, as, as we're having this conversation, it's occurring to me that my two favorite Star Trek episodes of all time are The Cage and All Good Things. Hmm. And so The Cage, they both have these really heady science fiction ideas in them. And they both have a lot of character. And even the cage, which is like, it's a pilot episode. We're dropped in the middle of this thing of like, Pike is kind of having a career crisis or a midlife crisis. And he's not sure he wants to be a captain, which is very not 1960s television writing. He's not, he doesn't come off as the big hero at all. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but that's, that element is there. And, you know, it, it comes, it comes to bear in what he goes through with the Telosians. They're like, here's everything you wanted. And so our interest and investment in his, in him as a person informs the science fiction idea. And as with all good things, it's like this, this, we've seen Q and Picard have this back and forth over the course of many seasons. Somehow I'm finding a, a correlation between these two stories, even though one comes at the end of a very long growth experience for all these characters, and one is right at the beginning. I think they both share this thing of giving us just enough to go on. One TNG, they're giving us a lot to go on. Mm-hmm. Um, but giving us something to go on with the characters as well as an interesting idea. And it's a beautiful balance of those two things where they manage to be walking the line of like trying to blow your mind, but also giving you something that's very grounded so that you can relate to the idea through the eyes, of, through the experience of another person, which I think is a neat trick and not that easy to pull off. There are a couple of things I would say really, really quickly though. And you keep saying science fiction ideas, and when you're talking about artificial intelligence, you're very much talking about a science fiction idea. But I'm thinking some of the most important episodes of, of Star Trek might be things like, I mean, whether they did it well or not, you could you could say that the TNG episode, The Outcast, certainly had a lot to say. Uh, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield is quite possibly uh, one of the most important hours of television, uh, certainly from Star Trek, if not just important hour of television. Neither of those are science fiction ideas. Right. It's, it's the thing that people have said in the past where science fiction... Because if you if you try to make it Archie Bunker or you try to make it like, you know, uh, something that's about your neighborhood and you're talking about racism, nobody's nobody's not nobody. But a lot of people are not really comfortable having that conversation. So let's make it spaceships and let's make it people who are ridiculously you know prejudiced because one has stars upon stars and the other one does not. And, and, and then you can sort of talk about it. So, I mean, are they science fiction ideas or are they just is it just that science fiction gives us the freedom to to address those ideas in ways that we don't have to be quite as afraid? I think some of them are science fiction ideas and some of them sort of just straddle the line. I mean, you know, with with the cage, you're talking about aliens that have the power to make you think you're experiencing things that you're not. Um, and then you can I think you made the correlation. It's like, oh, it's just like television. It's like, oh, you have this narcotic experience of just sitting in a room and, and, and having a false experience or a, a, an illusory one rather than a real one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's kind of doing both things at one time. Um, you know, I started off with this, with mission log mission creep talking about the twilight zone. Uh, but one of the things that has made me think about the twilight zone a lot is I've watched the show. One of my difficulties with it is like, I can see that they're really going for a lot of social commentary they're really trying to take on the big issues of today. And I applaud that. But I also feel like if you're to do that really deftly and to make that an exercise worth pursuing, um, occasionally you can do that be your last battlefield. Occasionally you can say racism is so stupid that we're going to just hit you over the head with it literally in black and white to make the point of how stupid it is. Occasionally you can do that, but more of the time, and I think especially in today's society, if you're that didactic, most people are just going to, most people who don't already agree with the point of view are not going to tune in or they're just going to find reasons to fight back and push back against it. It is a very difficult grace to have as a writer to create a space in the mind of a viewer who doesn't start out on the same page as you, where they might be given pause to consider a different point of view. They might be given pause to think, I hadn't really thought about it that way before. 
Yeah. I love when and, you call uh, in. Twilight dude. Zone did one that was a Me Too episode. <laughs> I didn't think it was a great story. I'm sorry. I think we got a little bit of a lag there because you, uh, you you cut out a little bit. Unfortunately, actually, I need to I need to dive off anyway because we got some business to take care of. Plus, I got some more uh, questions for the guys. But seriously, call back in whenever the heck you want to because it's always a it's always a right. tremendous playground when you call in. Just some fantastic. <laughs> I really appreciate that, Ken, and I will definitely call back, and I'll, I'll finish my thought maybe next time. Nice talking to you. Yep. Have a good one. Thanks a lot, Benjamin. 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call, 669-900-6833, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone, or uh, go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash mission log pod. Of course, if you're there right now doing that, uh, then I don't need to tell you where to go. Just you know, click on the thing and be on with Thomas and Nick and me. I will get back to Thomas and Nick in just a moment, but first I want to remind you about our, our fantastic sponsors uh, at Eagle Moss and, uh, and their new offers that they have for you. Um, yeah, I don't know if you like the you know a little tiny ships that they have or the larger Discovery Collection or the even larger XL editions, but whatever it is, uh, go there and check it out because there are tons of just fantastic ships available. Eagle Moss Shop is open and ready to do business with you, and listeners of Mission Log can actually enjoy an extra 10% off select models what you do is you go to shop.eaglemoss.com slash usa slash mission log and look at everything they got there uh, some ships you're going to recognize and some ships you're going to say well now hold on a second that's not right oh it's right it just didn't hit the way you thought it was going to hit like uh, there's rick sternbot's early concept model of the voyager uh, there's the interphase uss defiant from the original series episode the tholian web that one glows in the dark by the way um <laughs> there's the phase two concept enterprise there's the uss titan i might even be reading a titan novel i'm not sure yet look around there's this ton of stuff there for you to check out if you don't know what the titan is by the way there are titan novels and then there's actually a ship to go along with it uh, these are officially authorized by CBS Studios. Each and every model is die-cast, hand-painted, and comes with a display stand, plus an in-depth magazine featuring exclusive artwork and highlighting the ship's history, its design, and its place in Star Trek lore. To order, go to shop.eaglemoss.com slash USA slash mission log and enter promo code mission log, all one word, at checkout to receive an extra 10% off your order. That's mission log, all one word at checkout to save 10% at shop.eaglemoss.com slash USA slash mission log. And a big thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. Can I just Six toss in there that there is also an Enterprise F from Star Trek Online mm-hmm. in that There's, collection? Okay, yeah, but it's not a mile and a half long, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. Will it fit on a desk? That's my question. It's the normal uh, Eagle Moss chip size. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Uh, 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call. 669-900-6833. Or you can use the one tap from your smartphone or uh, go to the Facebook page and, and join us there. Uh, speaking of ships, Thomas, um, how did you how did you end up doing that? Did, <laughs> I mean, like, because you're, you're, I mean, you're a Star Trek fan. Okay. You're working for Cryptic. Okay. 
you're not a character guy. You're not an environment guy. And we'll talk about environments in just a moment. How did you end up um, virtually building virtual starships? It's been a long road. Oh. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Sorry <laughs> we're ending the show early, but right to Thomas to find out why. Um, uh, well, I started off doing user interface. Um, well, Technically, I got hired at Cryptic to work on uh, marketing websites and then did six months of that, then moved over to the SDO team proper to work on user interfaces. Did that for about four years and wanted to change. And so I decided that uh, I've always loved the ships in Star Trek. Um, my favorite character is the Enterprise. <laughs> you know, um, I had strong opinions. You know, I'd always like stand over the shoulder of the ship artists in the game and make suggestions or... Um, critiques or whatever um i just i that was my passion that's one of the things i really loved about star trek i always loved machines i love growing up i loved trains i loved fighter jets you know the the ships are the you know the things that really uh, i just uh, really you know resonate with me in star trek for some reason and, and the star trek ship designs themselves have so much personality compared to a lot of other you know most other sci-fi ships are some some kind of rectangle um or triangle if you're lucky so um the ships in star trek really have a personality and uh you know um i always thought they were brilliant so um i learned how to do 3d art um and uh, asked if i could be on the ship team and you know they gave me it gave me a grace period where I was still learning, um, but I had I had done a lot of work, good work on the on UI, and so they were willing to let me kind of switch over um, to do ships, and um, I've been doing that ever since. Now I'm currently the lead uh, ship artist, which really means I do a lot of management stuff and uh, outsourcing intake and stuff like that. I I don't really make ships anymore <laughs> as much as I used to. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's sort of, uh, it's kind of, it was a roundabout journey for sure. But, um, the, the one thing philosophy I have about making ships is like I said, they're characters too. So make sure when we're doing ships for Star Trek Online, every ship, since they're all ships that a player can fly, we want to make sure that every ship feels like it can anchor its own show. Every ship is a hero ship, you know, when we make mm -hmm. a new ship design. So we try to put a lot of detail and a lot of personality into everything we're doing. I gotta ask you before we uh, before we get to environments with Nick. Um, there's the TOS Enterprise. There's the refit for the motion picture. There's the Enterprise A. There's JJ Track, and now there's the Enterprise from uh, Discovery. Mm -hmm. First of all, I guess every time you see them, can you spot all of the differences immediately? <laughs> yes, and, and absolutely. Okay. okay, and then the other question is: Is it the bones of that ship that you like, and so you can like the Discovery one? at least in the same league as TOS or I mean like which I mean do you put a bloody A B C or <laughs> at the end of it which, uh, which enterprise is your enterprise um, I mean I I love the original enterprise because it's simple enough it looks like a real machine it looks like something it looks aspirational in the sense of hey we might be able to actually build something like that someday um the aesthetically, I think the refit enterprise from the motion picture is probably the best like science fiction starship ever designed just in terms of like, uh, you know, proportions, grace, detail, all of that stuff. Um, it's hard to top that ship. And so that's, you know, um, I think, uh, the, you know, the general arrangements are the same across all those ships that you mentioned, but I think there's a because of that, I think there's a lot to be said for the details. And I think there's a reason that most time 
Like anytime someone has tried to reinvent the original enterprise, they always steal from the refit. Um, the discovery, you know, uh, constitution, it's supposed to be the constitution from the TV show, but they had to, you know, sweep the, the nacelles back and they, um, they had to do things to the bridge and the under dome and change the, the curve of the saucer and stuff. So, um, I, I really, I really think there's a reason everybody and the JJ enterprise too, just, took a lot it's not bad i mean it's you know yeah uh, but it's just, it took a lot from the motion picture refit so i think that's sort of the the king of the hill as far as the enterprise you ask if thomas can spot them spot the differences we as a team watch discovery uh every week and you know whenever there's a new episode out the whole team goes to the warehouse and we all watch it together and whatever that episode was where they first show you know the new the new enterprise at the end of the first season um, as we're walking out, Thomas is already rattling off. Well, they changed this and they did this. And <laughs> <laughs> Most of the rest of us were just like, "Ooh, Enterprise!" And all over all the details already. <laughs> all right, so 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 going over to you, Nick. Then talk talk to me about the environment. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, we definitely get to know them like the back of our hands. It, it's, I mean, maybe not right off the bat because they're all different. You know what? You know, Voyager, Interior, and TNG, and TOS, and Discovery, they all look different. But once we've gotten into them, we um, we definitely know, like, every corridor that they run down, I know exactly what part of the set they're on, um, which I didn't as a kid. As a kid, it was all, one, you know, watching TNG, it was all, like, some magical set, set that went on forever and ever. And now I can be like, oh, that's in this spot, and we're facing this way, and we're going that way, and, um, you know, and... Also, when they, whenever they redress something, we're always like, oh, well, that's that room. They just flipped this, and they did that, and they moved this wall over here, and they added this part, and they lit it differently. And so, yeah, we, we're pretty good at spotting all of that, and we can dissect them even if we don't spot them right off the bat. You know, we can pause it and take screenshots and, and all that. And we'll- it's, it's always great when they, they try to save money because it, it makes us save money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny, you know, games get a lot of crap for like reusing assets and for, you know, just taking something and repainting it and whatever. And that's exactly what all of the shows have done the entire time because, and honestly, like, you know, yeah, it saves us money because we're making, but we're making things digitally. So it's, it's easier to do, but it saved them a lot of money too. And that's the whole reason they did it. Right. See, I don't, I don't know if you, you guys would like me more or, or dislike me more. I think you'd like me more, though, because John is always the one who says, oh, and that was a, a redress of this set from this thing. And well, we're back on this bridge that was reused from this thing and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm watching. It's like, wow, look, it's a new room. You know, <laughs> it's kind of the same thing when a new enterprise comes on screen. It's like, that's the shape of the enterprise. And that's enough for me. Yeah. You know, I mean, as long as it's more than just like, you know, well, something I could draw. Uh, coming up in about 40 minutes after this show, we'd like for you, please, to stay on uh, Facebook. Not something I often say, but I will say <laughs> it now. Uh, Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast is coming up uh, after this show. Uh, each Tuesday at 1130 Eastern, 830 Pacific, Elijah, Kenna, and Anthony bring you news from all over the Star Trek multiverse. It's TV and music, uh, not music. It's TV and movie news. It's gaming news, literary reviews, tons of stuff. Uh, there's a new segment, as I say, and, and just, yeah, it's a bunch of Star Trek conversation. A tremendous amount of fun. So you should catch it live if you can, 1130 Eastern, 830 Pacific, every Tuesday night. If you cannot catch it live, it's available as a podcast on Friday morning. Well, on Friday. So either look for that in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
or go to podcast.roddenberry.com and you'll find the latest show there as well. Uh, that is Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast coming up later tonight at facebook.com slash Priority One podcast. Yeah, we got about nine minutes left. If anybody wants to call in, 669-900-6833 or use the one tap from your smartphone or go to the Facebook page. Uh, I, I said at the beginning uh, that you guys have Lorca and Landry. We do. And, and while I know this is not you know, what you guys work in specifically, you've both been around Star Trek Online for quite a while now. Because um, you don't just have Lorca and Landry. You had Rekha Sharma as Landry, of course, and Jason Isaacs as Lorca. Uh, come in and recreate their roles for the game. Um, talk to me about that process. Talk to me about like you know, having somebody like faces. It's sort of like what I was asking about the ships and the environments, except you know, these are people like we've seen, we've seen Rekha and Battlestar Galactica and discovery. We've seen Jason Isaacs and the Patriot and, and Harry Potter movies and discovery Talk to me about bringing these people that we know into this, you know, completely made up uh, environment. Um, so we have, um, so uh, Reka actually came and visited the studio, which is really cool. Jason Isaacs recorded his lines in uh, London, I think. Um, uh, but um, in any case, we, um, <laughs> sorry, there's a running gag uh, in the Star Trek Online community about ZBrush because we have, we used to publish uh, dev blogs about the process of bringing actors to life um, in the game. And you always mention this tool called ZBrush, which is what our characters artists use to create these models. And essentially it's a digital sculpting tool, which um, kind of behaves like clay where you can add or remove or pinch things together. And so it's a, it's, it's almost like creating a sculpture, but using, you know, a uh, uh, digital media um, instead of something real. And so we have really talented character artists who uh, recreated the likenesses of Reka and Jason Isaacs, um, uh, Ian Castaneda is our lead character artist. And then uh, I forget his last name. Nick, do you know George? Um, uh, uh, is it? No, it's not Castillo. Is it? That might be right. Um, but, like Castillo. Hold yeah, on. well, uh, and so they both uh, worked on these characters. Um, I think George did um, Lorca, and then Ian worked on um, uh, <clears throat> Landry. Um, and, you know, um, like everything in game development, it's just a lot of hard work. <laughs> It's a lot of uh, iteration. Um, likenesses are very, very challenging because you, you know, there's always something that's like not quite right, and um, you just like drawing a person's face with a pencil uh, when you're sculpting and the digital media. You're, you know, you're scrutinizing. You're like, ah, oh, move, move her eyebrow up, move her eyebrow down. It can be challenging if you don't have great. Uh, reference. Um, Discovery is a pretty darkly lit show, so sometimes it's hard to rely on screen caps of the show to get, you know, a good reference to the actor. And then a lot of times the actors' headshots don't really look like how they made them their makeup done on the show. Um, so even headshots aren't super reliable way to get the likeness down because you're not recreating Rekha Sharma, you're recreating Ellen Landry. Um, right. And, and so that's, that's always yeah. a challenge. Makeup and hair and all that goes a long way to, to making a character. And that's always different than, you know, Ellen Landry looks different than Tori in Battlestar. And it is George Castillo is the one who does all the, the, or the most of the head, sculpting for us and his his work is fantastic we got about uh three minutes left and we do have a caller on the line matthew has a question what's on your mind tonight matthew so 
Uh, uh, there we go. Okay, so considering all factors, um, basically what unique experiences does the basically the STO storytelling medium bring to Star Trek, which aren't available elsewhere? So in short, how is the game special um, in the sort of the pantheon of Star Trek? Oh man, <laughs> we, get to, we get to go into depth in in places of Star Trek that you've wondered about. So all of the little loose ends that they've left all over Star Trek. There's all all these episodes where they kind of they get done with something and they're done with this mission. But there's all these like questions that kind of follow along with that. We get to pick up all those loose ends and continue on in those stories. And we're not canon, but you get to find out what happened to that character, or what happened to this thing, or where did that go? Or Yeah, remember when uh, there's a dead Harry Kim floating through space in the Delta Quadrant? Spoilers. Um, uh, we uh, tell you what happened to his body, um, and we'll tie that into um, the Kobali episode of Voyager, and we'll tie that into the Vadwar episode of Voyager, and we'll tie that into the Iconians um, in TNG, and then we'll tie that into the Krenum and the uh, Temporal Cold War, um, and then that cool from Enterprise. You know, like, um, we we spent years creating all these threads uh, between these loose ends, like Nick said. Um, and the other thing I would say is uh, that it's um, it's sort of like a Star Trek... Um, uh, you know how you know Star Wars has a galaxy's edge. Star Trek Online is like a Star Trek theme park where you can go to the Delta Quadrant, meet all the Delta Quadrant races that you met in Voyager, or go to DS9 and the Gamma Quadrant, and uh, you know talk to Quark and talk to Odo and and Kira. Like it's it's a Star Trek theme park, and um, it's it's a it's a it's a role playing game, so you get to make your character in the Star Trek universe. So it's not even like just kind of going around and looking at these things. You get to pretend that you are this captain that you get to make, you get to control, you get to, you know, design, look what they look like, figure out what ship they want uh, to fly, uh, pick your bridge crew, uh, you know, determine what weapon sets you use and all that. Like all of that is up to you to figure out who your character is in the Star Trek universe. And then would you say, would you guys say that it's, I mean, is it in the game or is it outside of the game or is it a combination of the two, sort of the whole fleet idea that's born? Because I know that like priority one has an armada Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, that, that's an interesting level. Most video games that I play are me. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it's an interesting sort of a community aspect to it because most video games that I play are very much, it's me against whatever's on the screen. Mm -hmm. It's not me and, you know, some guy in a, Ireland and, and some guy in Indiana and some guy in some other place that starts with I uh, working together <laughs> on something. Yeah, uh, fleets are definitely a group. Um, it's a mechanic uh, similar to other uh, MMOs, usually called guilds, where players can communicate with each other, socialize, um, join content, to play content together. Uh, that's definitely an in-game thing. A lot of fleets do have an out-of-game uh, website or forums or something that they'll communicate in as well, um, or Discord server or whatever, because it's 2019. But like, um, uh, yeah, no, it's it's an MMO, and that's one of its strengths is being able to uh, talk to and meet other Star Trek fans and play, you know, play through the Star Trek universe with them. It's- but if you want to play it by yourself and just experience the missions, it's very friendly to that sort of gameplay. Matthew, thank you very much for calling in. I'm uh, unfortunately we are just like right up against the top of the hour, so we're gonna have to say goodbye. But before we do, uh, uh, Nick, let people know where to find you. Thomas, let people know where to find you, and then one of you guys uh, let people know where to find out more about uh, Stowe. Uh, well, I'm Tumorboy or at Tumorboy on Twitter. 
uh, and various other uh, establishments. Um, you can find Star Trek Online at uh, at Trek Online Game on Twitter or StarTrekOnline.com. Yeah, and I'm uh, Thomas. I'm Thomas with the cat is my personal Twitter account. And then my uh, SDO only Twitter account is cryptic uh, underscore TTC. Um, excuse me. There's a cat here. Um, and uh, yeah, I have an art station with some of my ships on it. If you want to see my ships, that's just uh, you go to art station and search for uh, Thomas Maroney and it's on there. Guys, thank you both very much for being on. We actually didn't get to a bunch of the stuff that I was hoping to get to, so I'm I'm hoping we can get you guys back, uh, uh, get you guys back at some point because I had other questions. Yeah, it would be great to come back and talk more about STO for sure. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot, guys. I want to remind everybody, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live by the incredible Earl Green. Uh, Do be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log and Mission Log Live, but also Women at Warp, Priority One, The Track Files, and Daily Star Trek News. If you would like to support Mission Log directly, that'd be fantastic. Patreon.com slash Mission Log is the place to do that. Thanks to everyone who joined us live or later, and we will talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.